Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We're so grateful for the time that we can spend worshiping you and praising your name. And it's you that we adore today. It's you that we, we place before ourselves and worship and bend a knee to and recognize who you are and who we are in relationship with you as you are Lord, you are Savior, you are God, you are Creator. So as we come before you today through your word, I pray that you would teach us, would you inform us, would you shape us in our understanding, our, our viewpoints of how we see ourselves as we see each other, as we see the world around us. And Heavenly Father, we think about those today, there's, there's people out here in the audience for sure, there's people at home, they're struggling, they're sick, they're not doing well, and we, we want to lift them up before you. We think of Lynn today, we pray that you would take care of her. Would you give her your presence today, the peace that passes all her understanding of the world around her. We think of hope today. We pray that you would, you would touch her, be with her family, be with her boys, and pray that you would just minister to her again by your Holy Spirit who you are. And the calming of your presence would overwhelm anybody in need today. And so we think of those watching online again here who just need you to, to rest upon them and assure them that you are God. And you got this, whatever it is they're facing. We thank you for your spirit that you would do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're in a, we're in a series here. We're talking about authentic identity. I feel like it's one of those series where I'm in over my head <laughs> for sure. And it's, it, it keeps me up at night as I, I wrestle through and I think about what's so important about making sure that we have a good handle again of who we really are because we're living in a world that we recognize is, is struggling with trying to discover who they are and, and where do you find that again? Do you find that from within? Is that something you have to like discover? Is it something that you listen to the outside world and you have to have the outside world tell you who you are so you can feel assured of who you are? Or is it something that, that we hold on to here, which is it something that God actually gives to you, which is your identity and your belonging and your purpose and your meaning? And is it something that we can actually discover in God's word and then hang on to Despite how we feel, uh, despite the changes and circumstances of life that come, despite sicknesses, despite death, despite all the hardships that come our way, that we would have a firm foundation for who we are and what we hang on to in those times wouldn't be shaken. We will face those times, we know that, and so understanding who we are I think is absolutely essential and we've been a couple catchphrases I want to keep reminding you of is I'm not necessarily who I think I am because if I go on the inside, I can change and I often change in how I perceive myself. And so I'm not who I think I am. I'm not who you say I am because you really don't know me. And as much as you can give me affirmation and those kind of things and people will do that, do you ever find yourself on the inside saying, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, if you only knew, if you only knew me, if you only understood, if you knew my past, if if you knew my thoughts, I don't know if you would believe what you're saying. Is it really, I really am who God says I am, is the foundation of this, this series. And so that's what we've been looking at. And so last week we, we took a, a look at male and femaleness and how God created us male and female. He created us in relationship, and so we explored that a little bit. And uh, one of the things that we want to land on again is we want to kind of finish up what we talked about, that there is hope. There is hope for us in the world. There's hope for those in the world that, that Jesus is our, 
our hope, actually. And what he offers in relationship with him is an abundant life. Some translations would say life to the fullest or to fill up life of meaning and understanding and purpose. And that's why he came. He came that we might truly understand what life's all about. We would have that in him. And there, there is a thief, though, we talked about. There's a thief in the world, in the world, the ruler of the world, really. Jesus calls him the ruler of the world. And his, he's out to destroy and kill and maim and destroy identity, destroy what we would believe is true in God's word. And so we have Jesus coming to restore and redeem our lives, to bring us into fullness of who we're supposed to be, complete redemption. And we have an enemy that's trying to kill and destroy life all around us. And I think in, in this day and age anyways, I believe that this is becoming more and more true, or at least I think it always was true, but maybe it's more obvious. And so we looked at this verse in Proverbs 29. I had Proverbs 19 last week. Sorry for those who panicked and could not find it. It was Proverbs 29. When the people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. There was lots of ways in which that verse was translated, and every translation has a, a really uniqueness to it, but this idea of without God giving direction or without knowing what truth is, then the people scatter, the people get confused, the people run amok, the people don't understand what's up and what's down. And there's great confusion. And so we read that uh, in the last series we were talking about in Romans 1. In Romans 1, Paul said that when people don't glorify God or worship God for who he is, they don't put God in his place, it causes confusion. It causes the outpouring of all kinds of sin because people try to figure out meaning and purpose of life. And what happens is we go on the inside and we try to fill up this gaping hole by pleasure or indulgence of self whether that's through stuff or that's through relationships or meaning or significance. We try to fill it up and it causes all kinds of frustrations and pain in the world. And one of the, the important points of this series is that we would not look at our world at the end of the day around us and, and simply see them and kind of tisk or wag our finger at the world but that actually something inside of us would be stirred where we would look like Jesus does, and we'll talk about this, having compassion on them, that we'll see them in a way of their brokenness and actually lean in towards them because we understand that without hope, there's lots of despair in the world. And we see despair on the increase in the world. And we've talked about a lot of ramifications of a hopeless world and despairing world. We've talked about it in the, the gender identity issues. We've talked a lot about it when it comes to the abortion issues. And today I want to just highlight one other issue that's an outcome that some of these things you're not fully aware of, like you didn't maybe know Canada doesn't have any restrictions on abortion whatsoever. There's no laws. We're one of the worst countries in the world. Some of you didn't know or weren't aware of the gender identity issue and how far it's gone and where it's got to. And some of you also aren't aware in Canada of another major issue, which is an epidemic of, again, depression and thoughts of suicide and people taking their life. And what's also increased in our society because of a lack of identity or value of life itself and purpose and meaning 
is a whole concept of euthanasia, of course. But it is growing in the sense that I want to bring just your attention to the idea of what made is medically assisted in death process. And so this was brought into Canada in 2016, where you can go to a doctor, go to a hospital, and receive assistance in death. And originally that was designed specifically for people who were critically ill, in other words, terminally ill, that they, there was no cure and nothing to be found, and they were simply in pain. And it was a humane thing to do in, in the, the presentation of this, that they would be assisted in ending their life in a humane way, actually went through that process. Over the last five years, be aware, because in next year, it was supposed to be this year, in March 2024, the government is prepared to expand made or medically assisted in death procedures to not just physical ailments, but to broaden it up into any kind of mental health, including everything from anorexia to depression, anxiety, to anything else where you could say to a doctor, I just don't feel happy. And they are trying to broaden it up and to the point of including now where they will apply it to what they're calling, and this is across the gamut in all of these areas, what they're now redefining as age of consent to mature, mature minors. And so if you can demonstrate to your doctor that you have thought through things and you are mature enough to make this decision that without parent consent, you can go through all of these procedures, all the ones we talked about, including made. This is coming Within a year is the plan, May, March, sorry, 2024. It was supposed to be March 2023. All to say that is to say, this is where society is at. And my concern, of course, on it, why I think it's worth bringing up, is that with uh, the gender uh, identity crisis, really, and the suicidal ideation crisis that we're going through, there is an increased sense of depression and anxiety within our youth. It's through the chart. It's well over 40% where people would identify that they're experiencing a life of full of anxiety and stress and fear within our teenagers and increasing every year. That when this comes into play, and I know of people specifically who are waiting for this to come into play so they can go to their doctor and get help in ending their life. This is a pandemic, and where it comes from is this idea of a worldly system that finds no meaning, no purpose in who they are. And when you try to find significance from what you can experience in this life, from what you can touch, what you can feel, what you can pour into that hole, when you try to find your meaning and purpose there, I guarantee, like we looked in the very first week of this series in Ecclesiastes, at the end of all those pursuits, he said life was meaningless. And so when we go outside of God's word and we try to make life have meaning and purpose, we will end up at a state where we say life has no meaning. Even the great atheists of our time admit that when you say there is no God, the end result is you must admit that life has no meaning and no purpose. And so it is so important that we ourselves, we ourselves, within the church community, within the faith community, have a strong sense of identity. 
that we have a strong sense of who we are and where we find our value, that we have hope, that we have joy, so that when the world looks at us, they see light, they see hope, they will be drawn towards people, a people who have meaning and purpose. And this was God's design from the beginning when he, when he saw the brokenness of the world, that he would pull people out and say, I want you to live unique and different so that your life will be a light into the world, that you will be a blessing to the world. So I want to go through a couple of points here today on what does it look like, what should it look like for us to live in a world that's broken the way it is? What should it look like for, our, for the church? You are the church if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You're part of the church. What does that mean for us corporately? What does that mean for us individually? How do we then live in a world that is full of hopelessness? A world that is broken. And so I want to go through a few of these. They're in your notes. One is with love. With love. Jesus gave over an overriding commandment to his disciples that they would love people. And then he prefaced it because that wasn't a new commandment. Loving people was part of God's commandments. But Jesus said, I don't want you to just love people. I want you to love people the way that I love people. Jesus pushed it farther in the Sermon on the Mount, which I believe we're going to look at in, in uh, September. Jesus pushed it farther and said, you've heard that it says, of course, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. But I say love your enemies. Pray for those who will persecute you. In that way, in that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. In other words, you will be acting out your identity as a child of God if you love people who persecute you. One of the core marks of who we are, our identity, is that we are capable of loving people who attack us. That is a mark that distinguishes different than the rest of the world. Jesus said, what good is it if you love people who love you back? That doesn't distinguish you from anybody in the world out there. What distinguishes, makes us different, what makes us light and salt in the world is this, that we're able to love people who hate us. And if we do that, we will identify to the Father in heaven. Philippians 2, which we won't go there, there's a lot in Philippians 2, encourages us to have the same attitude, the same mindset that Jesus had in the world. He didn't come in the world for himself, but he actually came in the world to make others more important than himself. It's really hard to believe that God would come into the world and surrender and submit himself and make people other than himself, who is God, other than himself as God, more important than his well-being and who he was. And so part of our identity, part of our identity is that we're to love people and treat people in a way that makes them know that they're more important to us than we are. And that is so countercultural right now, what's going on. Is that we would be a people, we would be a church, we would be individuals who simply love in such a way that they would know that we see them as more valuable than ourselves. That changes a lot for how we present ourselves in the world. 
that changes a lot, and I'm not going to give a lot of interpretation today. I think this is a great sermon to go back to small groups, discussion time, and wrestle this out. But that changes a lot on how we present things in the world that bother us or frustrate us. How do we present it in such a way that when we're presenting it, it's because we love them more than we love ourselves? As I already mentioned, one of the ways that we have to live within a godless society, godless society, I want you, that's not a derogatory term, that's an actual term, the term meaning a society that believes there is no God. Just so I want to say that because we have godless people, you know, it kind of sounds like this nasty. No, no, a godless society is a self-proclaimed society that says we don't believe in God. So we have to have compassion. Jesus constantly demonstrated compassion to sinners. Every way he could, he demonstrated compassion. To a degree, to a degree that people accused him of maybe being too messed up. <laughs> that he could not be the Messiah because he loved and had too much compassion for people who were sinful. All kinds of scenarios where Jesus demonstrated compassion. One of my favorite verses, and I've mentioned it here at Heritage several times since I've been here, and I started thinking about that this week. There's several verses that I think I've hit over and over and over again, and I guess they're my theme verses, but this is one right in the very beginning when I was here. Matthew 9, 36, when it talks about when Jesus saw the crowds, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were helpless and harassed, like, like sheep without a shepherd. So we talked about sheep a little bit already in this series, and sheep are kind of dumb, and sheep need a shepherd. And without a shepherd, they can go off and hurt themselves, and they can get susceptible to prey and all kinds of problems. And so when Jesus saw people, when he saw the crowds, he saw that they were helpless, that they were vulnerable, vulnerable to the enemy in the world, that they were going to be prey. And this word again, this idea of harassed, is really actually a violent word. It's, it's, not, it, it's a violent word of someone being abused or attacked by someone stronger or dominant than themselves. And so when Jesus looks at people and he sees them caught up in the things of the world, he has compassion for them because he understands that there's an enemy in the world that is overpowering them. That is holding them down, pinning them down, making them feel worthless and helpless. And so it drew Jesus to them instead of repelled him because he saw the sin. And so for us as a church, us as individuals, when we look at people caught up in sin, do we get repelled away from them or do we actually see them with Jesus' eyes and our stomach, the word compassion is a stomach rooted word actually talks about being turned in the stomach not in a disgust way but in a compassionate like I need to do something I need to help I need to get involved that's the kind of compassion that Jesus had in the world next we need to live with wisdom Knowing who we are called to avoid and who we are not to avoid. This is a, a fascinating part for the church. It's been a struggle in the church for a long time. So let's just talk about it. It's another great one, again, for group discussion, friends discussion, family discussion, to talk about this, this tension. I believe we live in a tension we're going to talk about today. 
That's why I call it in the world but not of the world tension. And so we need to live in wisdom, in the wisdom of where is it that we, we enter into the world? When do we withdraw from the world? And 1 Corinthians 5 is fascinating because Paul is talking to the Corinth church and he's talking about sin in the church. Sexual sin that was happening in the church. And so he reminds him, he says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexual immoral people. And then he puts in there like brackets for us so we don't get confused. Not at all meaning, I did not mean sexual immoral of this world. It's not who I'm talking about. Since then, you would have to get out of the world. In other words, I'm not asking you to avoid immoral people in the world because then you wouldn't be able to live anymore. I'm asking you to be careful how you're associated with sexual immoral people in the church. So he says, I'm not talking about this world. For what, what do I have to do? What do we have to do with judging outsiders, those outside of our spiritual community? What is our role, he says? Do we have a role of judging those outside of a spiritual faith community? For people who do not claim the word of God as authoritative, do we take the word of God as authority to the world? He says, that would be silly. We take it to ourselves. We hold it up as a mirror. Remember we talked about, we hold it up as a mirror. It's not binoculars to look at other people through. The truth is for a mirror. He says, who judges the outside? We're to judge those in the church. It's interesting. It's a whole other passage that we need to unpack someday. Because we love where it says, don't judge. Paul's saying, well, well, we do judge. We just judge people who are on the same journey of following Christ. In other words, we hold each other account. We don't judge as people who aren't trying to follow God or God's laws or follow Jesus. At all. Why would we judge them? That's God's job. We have a job in the world to love, so far, to be compassionate. But our, our job in the world is not judge of the world. It's not our role. It's God's role. It's the Holy Spirit's role. And so we need wisdom in knowing who are we called to be involved with and who are we called to avoid. And what he's warning there in the church is that there's people that claim to live by the word of God, claim to follow Jesus, but they're living in moral lives. Don't, don't hang out with those people. Don't spend time with those people. Same point, different verse. In Ephesians, I actually want to open up. I'm going to open up Ephesians, and you can if you want, but I got it on the screen, the main parts of Ephesians chapter 5. It's a great passage of scripture. Ephesians 5 talks about living in the light and being light in the world. And so verse 6, 5 verse 6 in Ephesians says, don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. So he's talking about impurity, immorality, greed, and all that kind of stuff. And he's talking about, again, to avoid people. Don't be fooled by them who try to excuse that sin. For the anger of God will fall on those who disobey him. Don't participate in the things that these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. 
For this light within you produces only what is good and is right and is true. So carefully determine. Carefully determine. I think that's the underline. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. It takes wisdom and discernment. Another series. It's coming. I promise. Someday. We need to look at those words because I believe we're living in a day and age when we have to be, increase our knowledge of what is wisdom and what is discernment. How do, we, how do we live wise and how do we discern, how do we discern what pleases God? It says, take no part in worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. How do we expose them? It's a great question. Another one for your small groups. Do I expose them with signs? What he's talking about is exposing them by the way in which you live. Be light. When you're light and you're in the world, the light shines in darkness, it exposes things. It demonstrates the foolishness of the world. It demonstrates the brokenness, the hurt of the world. When you live in wholeness, completeness with hope, It'll expose to the world where hope is and where brokenness is. It shows up. It's demonstrated. So expose them, going down to verse 15. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools. Don't be foolish. Fools, a foolish word in Scripture means those that don't consider the outcomes of the way you live. Go about just living as if life doesn't matter. That's what he's talking about. Fools means living life as if it doesn't matter at the end of the day. That's what the world does. Do whatever you need to do for you today because nothing else matters. Scripturally, that's living like a fool because it matters. Everything we do matters. Every cup of cold water we give in Jesus' name matters. Every gift we give matters. Every action we do matters. Everything we do matters. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Those who what? What's wisdom in Scripture? Wisdom is those who know what God's Word says and is true. James says you want to know what is wise. James 1 says pray. Ask God for wisdom and he'll give it to you. Make the most, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Scripturally, again, evil days, which we've always been in evil days. And I think every generation, I'll be honest, always thinks their days are the most evil days. I do believe that. And I believe my generation's in the most evil days. I, you know, I do, but I know every generation. I mean, I can't imagine going through a season of the Holocaust and not believing this is the most evil days. I just cannot believe that. And if you go back through history, I would say there's always something pretty catastrophic going on in the world that would make you think this couldn't get any worse. But he says make opportunity, every opportunity. In other words, in the midst of evil, in the midst of dark days, there's opportunity to be light. So the more darkness around you, it means what? The more light stands out. There's an opportunity in the midst of a broken world where things are not going right. And so 
in why are we doing this series on identity? Because if we're living in a world right now where identity is the issue that's causing the most depression, anxiety, fear, confusion, anger, and hatred, it is important then that we know who we are so we can be light in these days. Don't act thoughtlessly, he says, but understand, understand again, discern, be aware of, understand what the Lord wants you to do. That's not always easy. I'll be honest. There's conversations that we can have in today's day where it's not clear, it's not cut and dry. What is it that God would have me do in this relationship? And this is very true. And I was, I was sitting uh, this week, actually, we, we went to district conference, and one of the, the things, topics we talked about for a full day was this idea of identity and gender identity. I should have probably went there first and spoke on it after, but it's fine. We didn't disagree. What was interesting, though, being around a table of sharing, where at first we were all kind of sharing, and it was very, you know, high high thought. In other words, it wasn't a personalized thought on identity and gender and, and those kind of issues. But by the time we started getting to know each other, you could go around the, the circle and everyone knew that they were personally being impacted. There was a niece, there was a grandkid, there was a friend, there was a close family member. Every one of us had people around us who was struggling right now, currently, with this major issue in their identity, and who are they? And so this is a personal topic, and it's not always easy. How do you interact with people when they're struggling with these things? What do you do? What don't you do? What do you say? What don't you say? How do you embrace them? How do you stand apart? When do you go close? When do you say, I need to be separate? And that tension is there, and it's a real tension. And so we're living in a day when we need wisdom and discernment as we engage in love and compassion and wisdom. At the end of this Ephesians 5 kind of passage, which I couldn't put on the notes, What's interesting, he says, so making the most of every opportunity, don't act thoughtlessly, understand what the Lord wants you to do. And he talks about, he moves into this idea of worship. Singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs amongst yourselves. Make music to the Lord in your hearts. Give thanks for the Lord in everything. Praise his name. And I thought, wow, that's kind of a weird ending on that. And then it dawned on me, this is Paul. And Paul said in Romans 1 again, when did things go wrong? When people stopped worshiping God for who he was. See, if you want, you want to be of sound mind, you want to make good choices, you want to live wise, why is worship so important to us? Because we gather here to remind ourselves who he, who he is and who we are. And so worship is not just an expression of singing or song, but it's, it's a declaration every time we gather together that we are not God. And we worship one who is. And when we forget to worship, when we forget to gather, we forget those things, we forget, we start to think that maybe life is about us. And we become God 
and things go off the rails. So wisdom. Next, this idea of separation in but not of the world. And so this tension I'm talking about is very real. And in John 15, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he says, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, if you belonged here, it would love you as its own. If you belong to the way the world is. Now the world, I just need to help you understand. For some that are newer again, the world is, is several different ways. The world is referred in scripture as the earth. God loves the earth. He loves creation. He loves the animals and the trees and the oceans. He loves this earth, the world. So often in scripture we hear that. World is also referred to as the people. The people in the world. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That no one in the world would perish. That they would find him in eternal life. So the world is also referred to the people. And then the world in Scripture is also referred to a system. A system of thought, a thinking, a dominant philosophy, or understanding how things work. And so our tension is we're in this world, we're with we're in the creation that God loves. We're surrounded by people that God loves. And yet we're in a system, the system of self. The system that is against everything of God. And we're in this. And because we align ourselves with God, we are not in that system. Jesus refers at least two times within, I think, sorry, John 14, like John 17, in there at least two times that the enemy, Satan, is actually the ruler, the ruler of this world. In other words, he is the one, he's the dominant one who creates the system. And this is the world system that we're not supposed to be a part of. And so we love people, we love creation, and we have to abandon the system. Don't recommend this, um, but I was looking at, because it's such a growing thing right now, the, the Church of Satan, so don't recommend, you have to read all that stuff. But going into that, because there's a, there's a new thing, I had someone send it to me, but I was already reading it anyways, and there was a convention, after annual thing, and its membership's grown from, I think I might have mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, it's grown from like 10,000 members to like 700,000 members in the U.S., but you have to understand that the church of Satan is not about worshiping Satan. In fact, they, they'll straight up say, we don't really believe that Satan is a deity that wants worship. We don't worship Satan. What Satanism is at the heart and always has been is worship of self and a rejection of God. The heart of Satanism is a rejection of the goodness of God. That God is enemy. That God is against you finding fulfillment in the world. Right back to Adam and Eve. God doesn't want you to be like him. God doesn't want you. I mean, that was their identity. was like them. It's a lie. Right from the beginning. God doesn't want you to be like him. But they were like him. Attack their identity right off the bat. God's your problem. And so Satanism is all about self. Don't deny self. Literally, they're exact parallel opposites. Don't deny self. Don't deny desire. And so the church of Satan sponsors abortion clinics. 
They sponsor the gay and lesbian movement and the trans movement. It's right on their website. They sponsor everything that says self-interest is the main interest. Self-worship is what they are about. It's the polar opposites. So in this, Jesus has already said once that he is the ruler of this world. So if it hates you, well, that's because you belong to me. I have chosen you out of this world. Out of this world. He's not taking us, I sometimes wish, don't you, just like taking you out of this world. He has chosen, he's leaving us in this earth. He's leaving us in the midst of people and community. He's pulled us out of the system, out of the dominant philosophy of life, of self. And so that's why. And so he continues a little bit later on in his prayer. So that was when he was talking to disciples, and then he prays for them. He prays for you. Literally in this passage, it's a fabulous passage, he says, I'm not just praying for you guys. I am praying for everyone who will become a follower of mine. Do you know when he talks about the Lord's Prayer? Yes, great. This is the prayer he prayed for you. Specifically, the Lord's Prayer was, here's how you should pray. The Lord's prayer for you is recorded. Did you know that? He prayed for everyone who would follow him someday. And he prayed and we have it recorded what it was. It's John 17. So he's praying. He says, says to the Father, I've given them your word. I've given them the truth. And the world has hated them. Because they're not of the world. Even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you, Father. I do not ask you to take them out of this world but to keep them from the evil one. Because there's an evil one who's come to seek and destroy. I'm not asking you to get, take them away. I'm asking you to protect them from the evil one, for they are not of this world, even as I am not of this world. God's prayer for us is not that we would be removed, but that we would be present, that we would be light and salt in the world around us, but that he would protect us in the time that we live in the evil days in which we live. And so we say amen with Jesus. Amen. Protect us in the world. Don't take us out because we need to be salt and light in this world. Thank <laughs> you. Next, I want to go to another verse with separation. 1 John 2. It's another part of this world. He says, do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. So what is it talking about? Good thing he explains it for us. For when you love the world, you don't have the love of the Father in you. So when you love, when you love what the world is offering you, you can't have the love of the Father. You can't worship the Father and worship what the world worships. Because they're opposites. For what does the world offer? The world offers only craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we can see, a pride for our achievements and the possessions. Well, these are not from the Father, but they're from this world. Anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. One more on the separation part, and this is probably one of the hardest ones to apply, which is in 2 Corinthians. It says, Paul is saying this to the Corinthian church. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can a righteous be a partner with the wicked? 
How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And so what he's talking about there is this tension of you're in the world, you're to love these people, you're to be compassionate toward these people, but be careful that you do not unite yourself to them. There's a balance there that is hard. And there was don't align yourself in such a way that it'll compromise who you're called to be in your identity. You were called to worship different things, love a different way. And so be careful on those things. And what are those kind of partnerships? I would suggest business partnerships, contracts. Be careful. Be careful what you sign into to commit. Because if that partnership goes one way and you need to go the other way, it'll destroy you, potentially, and your future. Friendships, dating for young people. Be careful. Connecting yourself to someone who worship the things of this world. When you worship the living God, they don't work together. Careful in marriage when you join into covenant relationship with people who don't live for the Father. So we're to be in the world but not of the world. We need to be a community of believers that stick together. I think in this day and age, this is where community was a nicety before, and I think it's become essential. Because this takes discernment. And I believe for discerning the things that we're talking about, what wisdom and discernment, how do we do this? How do I do relationships at work? How do I do relationships with my family? How do I love my neighbors? How do I do this? I believe discernment in the body of Christ, and we're going to talk about the rest of the series about what does it mean to be in Christ. I think discernment and wisdom fundamentally comes from community. And I think if you're going to try to follow Jesus all by yourself, it's going to be very, very difficult in this world right now. You need the wisdom and the belonging of one another. So in Hebrews, says, don't stop meeting together. Don't neglect meeting together. Get, get together. Be in the habit of getting together, encouraging one another more and more as the day arrives. So how do we live? We live within community. How do we live? And I think this is one of the main takeaways that we're going to land on today with prayer and intention with prayer and intention prayer is becoming more and more important it probably well it always was but when it comes to discernment what the difference is discernment i won't get ahead of a whole series here discernment is not between bad and good discernment is what does god's heart want it's between good things and so that takes prayer. That takes intentionality to seek God out. And so Colossians chapter 4 is another passage of Scripture that you could look a little bit more into. So Colossians 4, starting at verse 2, says, Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart again. Notice he says that. Thanksgiving, worship of God. Giving thanks to God. Devote yourselves to prayer, an alert mind, and a thankful heart. And pray for us too, he says, to the church in in. He says, can you pray for us that God will give us many opportunities, opportunities again. So Paul's always about, we're in this world, we need prayer, we need to be intentional, and we have opportunity. That God will give us many opportunities to speak about this mysterious plan concerning Christ. And he says, that's why I'm in chains. In other words, back what Jesus said, that Jesus said they would hate us. Well, I'm in chains because of the good news of Jesus Christ. So pray I'll be able to proclaim the message as clearly as I should. It's interesting. 
as clearly as I should. In the situation I find myself, pray that I'll have wisdom to know how I should proclaim the message. Discernment again. Live wisely among those who are not believers. Doesn't say don't live with among believers, it's live within believers, unbelievers, but live wisely. And again, what does he say? Make the most of every opportunity. There's opportunities around. Let your conversation with them be gracious and attractive. Love that translation. Gracious and attractive. Attractive like light, like the salt, like hope. Our conversation with the world around us in our workplaces, in our neighbors, in our schools. Our conversations need to be gracious, full of grace, and attractive, full of hope. That you will have the right response for everyone. That's a challenge. Right here in this little passage, it says we need to pray, we need to be wise, we need to be aware that we have opportunities right now. We don't need to go hide. We have an opportunity. We need to be gracious and attractive, and we need to have the right response. That takes wisdom. Let's pray for that. Let's pray for us. We're in this world. We're not of this world. We have hope in our identity, and our world is looking for hope. We have an opportunity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the hope that I have. Maybe callously we talk about people who don't have hope for life or, or taking their lives or ending their lives or ending the lives of an unborn child because they're scared of the life that would be. There are those who are trying to figure out who they are and if they possibly could be living in existence inside that is, that is not true on the outside and so they have this, this torn identity of confusion that they're a mistake. And yet, by your word, you have told us that we are designed, we are loved, we are thought about, we are planned for, we have a hope and we have a future. We have an identity that is secure because you said that you will never leave us, you'll never forsake us. That we are worth dying for on the cross. So we have this immense amount of hope, this, this strong sense of identity that we are your child. And so I pray that as we, as we have this identity and we go into the world, would we be wise? Would we pray for discernment and wisdom to make best use of our opportunities with family members and coworkers and friends and neighbors as we go about? May we be gracious, full of grace. May we speak in a way that draws people to you an attractive way. And for all this, we admit, without you, we don't know how. So by your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill us, would you empower us to behave in a way that you would behave in the world full of love and compassion, full of wisdom and understanding, full of grace and yet still truth. Teach us, in Jesus' name, amen.